Hey friends, I'm Stacy and I'm Melissa. And we are teaming up each month to chat about books. What makes our podcast a little different is that we want to encourage your curiosity beyond the book. So how will we do that? In addition to discussing the themes, characters, and a review of the book, we will also discuss what the book taught us and how it inspired our curiosity well after the story finished. Now, let's get on with our episode. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Curious Reader Podcast. I want to start by saying that if you like this podcast, please review us on Podbean or in your favorite podcasting app. Your likes and reviews help us out greatly, and they help others to find our program. We really enjoy doing it, and we want to keep it going. So if you enjoy what we have to say, please tell us and let us know and tell your friends. You can reach us on Twitter also at the Curious Reader GPL, where the GPL stands for Gostown Public Library. So I can't believe how fast December is flying by. (laughs) I have had to finish up purchasing books for the teen collection for the year at the library, and I was making some room on the new shelf, and I caught myself admiring book covers. So I remembered that we've mentioned book covers a few times in our podcast, and so before we begin to dive into uh, Jared Rex Donuts and Other Proclamations of Love, that's our book we'll be discussing today, let's start off this podcast by chatting briefly about stellar book covers and why they caught our eye. So when I notice people browsing for books, they often remove a book from the shelf, they look at the cover, uh, and then they either place it back uh, or they open it to read the book flap. And I do the same thing. The book cover is your first impression of that book. So a snazzy cover can definitely catch your eye. So Melissa, do you have a few book covers, say maybe three, that you find exceptional? Ones that you kind of stare at and think, this book has it going on. Yeah, when you ask me that, that's kind of a tough question for me. So when I I thought about it, when you emailed me with this information, um, I thought of A Song of Wraiths and Ruin, which is one of our earlier podcast books. Um, But I saw in a video how it was made and it was stunning. And I think we talked about that in the podcast, if you want to go back and look at that. I think the story of the amazing artwork is what made me think about that book cover, not the book cover Ah. itself. So it's, um, there's also the Harry Potter stories um, that stand out in my mind. But I think it's because I've stared at them for so long. I think I've read each one three times. I've never read them. I'm sorry. (laughs) I must read them. I know. (laughs) Can you be a librarian? (laughs) My my children have read them and I keep saying, I'm going to read them. I'm going to read them. And I've yet to read a Harry Potter book. I'm so sorry. Okay. You must. You must. When when they first came out, we read them and um, NPR did a story about how people were putting paper bag book covers on them because adults were reading them on the subways and they they were too embarrassed. They wanted to mask it. That's right. Hmm. Anyway, (laughs) so I thought about this question and I realized what I tend to appreciate in cover art is actually the fonts because I went down the shelf and I thought, hmm, what what stands out to me? What books do I like? And I Mm -hmm. realized that I love good old fashioned fonts. I'm a a historian. um, So I 
thing, and I love reading books about history. So the book, for example, An Assassin's Guide to Love and Treason, makes use of an old-timey font with a modern font with capitals and italics thrown in, but not in an overdone way. It was just super, super clever, very Mm -hmm. artistic. And that definitely draws me to the book. I also love a good leather book cover with gold fonts, kind of old-fashioned. Oh, one cover that I love is The Invention of Hugo Cabret. Please tell me you've read this book. I've not read that either. (laughs) (laughs) This is a book cover that does have it going on, as you said, (laughs) with color and fancy font. Again, that old-timey feel and beautiful design with a hot air balloon. And I must say Mm. the text inside does not disappoint. It's it's a combination of uh, pictures and text in a very, very fat book. Um, don't let the fatness I was say, oh, put I don't you know, off because it's, cause it's mostly pictures. It's oh, like okay. half pictures. Oh. Um, it's an absolutely fabulous story whose cover really is a perfect container for it. And that's really what you look for in cover art, yeah, right? Perfect container. It is. So I've also said before that um, A Song of Wraiths and Ruins, uh, and actually its sequel, um, A Psalms of Storms and Silence, to me, their book covers are really stunning. Uh, when you first look at the book, uh, the, the the first book itself, the billowing of the vibrant green dress, and then I think for me, it's the metal adornment uh, for both of those books on um, the neck covering and the shoulder shields and then down the front of the dress. Uh, it really adds a three-dimensional element, especially if you start like moving it in the light. Um, I kept rotating the book cover and, and when it hits it just so, um, you know, it, it has this regal feel to it it just pops off the um the cover and i liked that the same elements are used in um the cover of book two but this time there's like a holiday red dress and it's very sleek uh and so i think the metal shawl that's worn by karina in that one um also pops off the book so and her hair is really really silver um and it takes precedence in book number two on the cover. So the silver hair um, is a defining mark of being part of the royal family. So if you've read uh, Songs of Wraiths and Ruins, you learn that inside the book there. Um, and so while on the cover of book one, her silver hair is barely visible, shielded by a headscarf, in book two, it is raining proud on the cover. And I think that might be a glimpse of uh, Karina's coming of age and her newfound confidence. I'll have to read the book to see. But um, I find I can't keep my eyes from looking at those covers every time I pass them by. So when you're talking about the silver and gold, it makes me think of uh, old fashioned books, and they're doing it now more Mm -hmm. often again with the gold on the edges of the paper. Mm -hmm. And if you open it up, the end papers, the 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 papers right at the beginning and the end of the book, when I see end papers that are really fancy, that attracts me to the book, too. Wow. So hmm. another favorite of mine is the Teen Killers Club by Lily Sparks. Actually, I loved the book. But the the book cover, it has like muted pink that fills the cover. And then there's these splashes of neon blue and hot pink and purple. Um, They're in the landscape and in the character's clothing. I think the huge thing with that book cover, though, is that the whole cover gives an 80s, cheesy, campy slasher movie vibe um, that I really, really like. Um, again, it's just another cover that grabs my attention. And when I read the book, the cover did the book justice. It, it was a really, really good book. And finally, another cover is um, Tokyo Ever After by Amika, Amiko Jean. Uh, there's a portrait of the girl 
on the front and she has um, flowers and it looks like it's put together as paper art. So for example, like when you look at the hand, it looks like each finger is a separate piece of paper that's layered on top of the next finger on top of the next finger going all the way down the hand and it adds complexity and depth. It's so unique that I can't help looking at it. Uh, I also think that would be an interesting book to read after reading um, With Love from Little Tokyo. Uh, In Tokyo Ever After, Izzy's the main character, and she lives with her single mom in Northern California, and she finds out her father is the crown prince of Japan. So it's a kind of a different take on not feeling American enough while also not feeling Japanese enough. So that might be a a book for anyone who loved um, With Love from Little Tokyo. You might want to try that. So... A new YA book that came across my desk, and I'm not going to say what the title was, uh, had a book cover that reminded me of a trend that happened in book covers uh, this past year. And I just didn't care for the trend. Uh, I call it the swatches of color blob. (laughs) So basically, you have these bright colors, and they intersect other bright colors. And then the book title, the the text is just written over the bright colors. I I don't know. There was a lot of them. You could do a whole display on the swatches of the blobs of color. I don't know. It's just not my thing. But, you know, the silver lining is you could do a huge book display (laughs) of of all these books that came out in (laughs) last year with those blobs on them. So eh, that's our book cover discussion. So if you have a book cover that you just love, we would love to hear it. You could email us or even just put it in the comments. Or even if you have something else that attracts you to a book, like the fonts or the end papers, let us know. Yeah, the book cover's not your thing that has it going on, but there's something else. We'd love to hear it. So probably time to change gears then, but one last thing before we move into our book. I just want um, to give a little Goffstown Public Library news. Starting January 11th and running until March 31st, the library will be doing a winter reading program just for grades 5 through 12. It's called Bookopoly, and you can visit the library's website and calendar of events at www.goffstownlibrary.com backslash calendar to find out more information. So now on to our main attraction. This month, Melissa and I are discussing Donuts and Other Proclamations of Love by Jared Reck. The story centers around Oscar Olson's last year of high school. Oscar can't wait for school to be over so he can focus on his future, which involves taking over his grandfather's food truck business and then maybe opening a cafe of his own. So before I go into a deeper summary, and then my hits and misses, Melissa, why don't you share any of the curiosities and questions from the stories that we could explore deeper? So my topics are always based on questions that I have as I go, because a a big part of my teaching is inquiry and asking Mm -hmm. questions as you read and you do research. So this month, I thought I would share some of the questions that were swirling in my head for this book. Mm -hmm. um, So you can see the process of inquiry in motion here. So here are some of my topics with some of their associated questions. Um, And these are just the questions that came to me as I read. If I thought about it more, I'd come up with even more questions. So first topic was food trucks. And I started thinking, who operates them? Can you make a living owning one? What are the associated costs? And what are the different types of food trucks? Mm -hmm. I also thought about donut making. How are donuts made? Do different countries have different types? Um, Then I thought about Aland, Finland, which is uh, where our main characters are from. I said, where is this? And what's the culture? Mm -hmm. And why do they speak Swedish if it's Finland? 
Um, then I started thinking about Swedish. How did it develop <laughs> as a language? And then the food, rilla kebab and munkar that are mentioned in the book. What are other dishes from this area of the world? Why are these popular? What are their cultural influences? And where can I get some? Obviously. Yeah, definitely. Where can we get some? <laughs> Um, food festivals. What what food festivals are around here? What's the history behind them? I started thinking about food waste because that's a topic um, yeah. one of our characters researches. How much do we really waste and what can we do about it? Apples and carbon dioxide. Is this really a problem? Why do some apples taste bad? How are the apples in our school and do the kids eat them? Because in this book, they didn't. They mm. thought they were really yucky. <laughs> yeah, they did not taste good. And I was wondering that too, as I was reading it, I was like, oh, I wonder if there's a lot of apples that get wasted at the high school here in Golfstown. I, I don't know. I remember the apples not tasting good when I went to school oh, a million years ago. So I don't know. So and then that would be another question. Why? Why do they taste bad? So college search. How likely are you to get turned down from top schools? Because that happens mm -hmm. in our book. What makes you more attractive to top schools? And does it really matter where you go for the rest of your life? Can you be happy wherever you are? Um, comas. What happens to you when you're in a coma? How likely are you to come out of one? Demonstrations. What's the history behind demonstrations? What types of people get involved in them? Are they necessary or helpful at all? Hate groups. How many are there in the United States? What is its history? How is our country trying to manage them? How do people become involved in such groups? And then finally, the most important topic, Crocs. <laughs> Why are they popular? Are they yeah. really popular with food workers? Why do members of my cross-country team wear them when we walk courses in the woods? <laughs> so I, I don't like Crocs. I'm going to come out and say I, it. I, I do either. not like them. And and, I, and quickly, I will just tell this this funny little story. Um, I, don't, I don't like the, the basic Croc, like, you know, that like that big kind of, I don't know, that big plastic thing. Plastic thing. <laughs> but I, I got... Another pair of Crocs that were more um, like a um, flip-flop, right? And, that, and they were fairly comfortable. They were black and, you know, they're a flip-flop. So when do you wear flip-flops, people? In summer. Though sometimes I do wear them in winter with socks, and I know that's a whole other story. But I was doing some gardening. I took my flip-flops off for a little bit. I went to put them back on later, and they did not fit me. I'm not kidding. I could not get my foot in there. Really? And then I called the company, and they told me that – I could not leave them out in the sun. They, they will actually shrink. Oh, that's bizarre. Yes, I know. But I said, but, <laughs> but they're a summer shoe, right? Like, yes, but you need to put them in the shade and blah, blah. And so he told me that what I could try to do is boil my shoe, boil the flip-flop. <laughs> and when it's hot, stick my foot back in it to see if I can stretch it out. Yeah. Nope. So right. If we ever get advertisers, they won't be Crocs. I'll they won't be Crocs. So this if you're walking down the street in the heat... <laughs> Don't worry, you're not going to get your foot out of the shoe. Not these flip-flop ones. Maybe the regular, like, you know, Crocs at most people, but not this flip-flop brand. And it was a Croc brand, I will say. It was Crocs. But Boy, are we off yeah, topic today. I know. But I think that maybe in the food industry, maybe it's because that Mario Batali, like, he used to wear them. And so I don't know if maybe if he started the trend of okay. wearing Crocs in the kitchen. And I don't know. Interesting. But, yeah. There's the... Yeah, we went way off on that, but I just yeah, had to share but that's, that story. That's part of the fun of, of thinking beyond the book, right? Exactly. So the topics I finally settled on are all in Finland. I just had to learn more about it. I mm -hmm. fell in love with this place. So um, if somebody wants to send me tickets to all in Finland, mm -hmm. like the all in tourism industry, that would be fabulous. Um, <laughs> food, because food is always a great topic. And Scandinavian Christmas. 
Very good. And so I'm sure after that small summary I gave, you're like, wow, all of that information, those questions came from the story. And yes, they did. So I had a lot of those similar questions, um, but I also thought about the fact that Oscar, our main character, didn't like school. It was mentioned quite a bit. He just wanted to get through school. He wanted he didn't want to continue on after school, and he had additional training. Um, and a few times when he was describing his school assignments, he would um, talk about um, how the pages, how the, the the letters looked on the pages, that they danced around the page. And so uh, he liked listening to audiobooks. And so I kind of wondered if the book was slightly hinting at maybe a learning disability, but it didn't completely go there. Uh, I don't know. That was something I thought about too. Mm, Interesting. But so let's move a little deeper into the summary and then you can see why Melissa had all the questions that she did. All right. So Oscar, our main character, is a senior in high school. He's lived with his grandfather far, far since he was four years old. And the story surrounding how they came to be is discussed at different points in the book. And I'm going to leave that for the reader to discover on their own. So both Oscar and Farfar are originally from a self-governing town in Finland. They both emigrated to America at different times, Farfar first, and then, like I said, Oscar later when he was four. And the grandfather, who um, his actual, his name is Eric, but Farfar, I believe, is the way, how you say grandfather Mm -hmm. in... um, Is it Swedish? Yes. Yes. Okay. So he runs a food truck and it showcases Swedish foods. And the specialty is mankar, which are donuts and mankal, baby donuts, otherwise um, known as like donut holes, like we would say. Munchkins. Yeah, little munchkins. And Oscar is Farfar's right-hand man on the food truck. And Oscar longs for the day when he can open his own cafe and also take over the food truck business. So... Oscar does not love school. Actually, he's not completely sure why he can't just do the obligatory English and gym and then enroll in something called diversified occupation for the remainder of the school year, where he would earn credit for actually just working alongside his grandfather in the food truck. But Oscar's grandfather takes the diversified occupation off the table, and he wishes Oscar to finish all of his high school classes. At least Oscar gets to spend a good portion of his time in the culinary lab, taking independent study foods, advanced pastry art, and being an assistant teacher in Food One. And this is where Oscar shines. He bakes up cupcakes, apple crisp, apple muffins, simmering apple cider. And you might be wondering why there's so much apple. (laughs) Well, let's enter um, Mary Louise Lou Messinger. Lou is longing to get into a top-of-the-line university. She's very focused on her AP classes and her GPA. But she needs Oscar's help for a Girl Scout service project about food waste, particularly the absurd amount of bitter-tasting apples thrown away each lunch period. So as Oscar helps Lou turn bitter apples into sweet delectables, Lou helps Oscar and Farfar on the food truck. And Oscar starts thinking his dreams may come to fruition until there's a tragic accident that causes Oscar to doubt himself and realize how uncertain his future may be. So my hits. The nurturing bond between grandfather and grandson. I loved that in this book. So growing up, my grandfather, he's my papa, we call him papa, he always lived with us. And after I had um, my boys, they actually called my dad papa. So then we graduated my grandfather to old papa. 
So <laughs> he moved on to being old papa because he um, was around for quite a bit through uh, my boys growing up, which was wonderful. Um, so like I said, he always lived with us. And while I had a strong relationship with him, um, Oscar and Farfar's relationship reminded me very much of my papa and my brother. They were um, really, really, really close. Uh, Oscar and Farfar played Mario Kart together in the book. And my papa and my brother, they would bond over going out and getting baseball cards together. And so um, I really just loved that relationship. I enjoyed that the book recognized that not all students, for whatever reason, are college bound. I liked that a culinary school was um, explored as an option for after school, uh, after high school, but more schooling was not necessarily the only option. Um, and, and ultimately, um, that was not an option that Oscar, you know, he wanted to just get right into the nitty gritty of business. So I liked that being explored in this book. And while Oscar did not enjoy academics, he still had teachers that recognized his gifts and talents and acknowledged him. And I really thought that that was special in this book. Um, and finally, Oscar's school troubles. So he didn't like school, um, but audiobooks and podcasts were mentioned quite a bit. A bit, and actually, he talks about when he's in um, the culinary the labs and he's you know working on these delectable bites. He has his um, earpods in and he is listening to <sighs> Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> so I really loved that audiobooks were um, a center point in here, and that listening to audiobooks makes you a reader. And I just, I love that point that was in this book. And as a side note, after having um, my thoughts on the book hashed out, I enjoy reading other reviews of the book. And I actually noticed that many people who um, loved this book, the, um, the, the Donuts book, actually loved the format in audiobook. So I thought that was great. And in November's YALSA, that's a division of the American Library Association that pertains to young adults, they reviewed the audiobook um, and they added it to its 2021 list of amazing audiobooks. Actually, so. that's how I first read The Good Girl's Guide to Murder. Oh, I, really? I don't really listen to audiobooks very much. I'm a podcast person. Yeah. Um, but I listened to that and I was so caught up in it. I then read number two and number oh, three wow. in the series. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I I've yet to catch on to audiobooks only because I think my mind does wander, and then all of a sudden I'm like, I have to listen to that whole chapter all over again. It depends again. on the one and yeah. who's who's doing the talking, who's narrating, right? Mm -hmm. So I did have some misses in the book. You know, those were my hits I just talked about, but there were some misses. Um, the tragic moment comes late in the book. Uh, it it seemed rushed through, and maybe it didn't quite fit. Um, well. Excuse me. I'm so sorry. Well, there were some contemporary social justice issues introduced throughout the book. I don't know. The overall feel of the book was lighthearted until this part. And I felt like it was kind of thrown in. It didn't fit with everything else. And I think you felt the same way, Melissa. I did. I did. Yeah. Um, I also didn't enjoy how Lou and I, I did. I'm sorry. I did enjoy how Lou and Oscar evolved their relationship. I loved it. But all of a sudden, Lou starts playing Mario Kart and and. She has this strange F-bomb dropping fascination that had me shaking my head because up until that point, there was none of this from her. So I was like, where did that come from? It was a little strange to me. And there were other parts of dialogue that had me thinking that the wording seemed a little out of character for some of the characters that they had. So that those were my only misses there. But overall, I really enjoyed the book, um, although I constantly <laughs> felt hungry when I read it. And I still have a craving for those loaded kebab fries because that sounded amazing. 
Yeah, not to me, but really. Oh <laughs> no, my god! No. I was like, well, oh my god, I'm a vegetarian. So that okay, be. there you go. That that would be why. But overall, with your misses, I think we're on the same page with this one, Stacy. I like this book, but I thought the ending didn't match yeah, the tone of the rest of the book. Strange. It really stuck out like a sore thumb. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, that type of struggle comes earlier in a book um, and is is built up more. Yeah. It's like and it's like an editor said, you need some kind of struggle, and maybe they threw that right. In. I right. Don't know. Um, I also would have liked to see more character development of secondary characters um also lose cursing seemed very out of character i i'm kind of a goody two-shoes and now as a older person i I will curse but at that age i was i didn't and it took me a very long time it wasn't like overnight i would just it it, it, i just don't think she would change that aspect of her yeah i felt that it didn't make sense so so I think now we're ready to explore beyond the book. I think we are. Okay. All right. All right. So let's start with topic number one, which is Åland, Finland, um, which I quite honestly never heard of till this yeah. book. I'll admit it. Um, but I fell in love with this place while doing my research. Author Jared Reck's sister-in-law married a man from the area. He took a trip to see it, and he fell in love with it, too. So he used his brother-in-law as a resource for creating the cultural background of his main characters here. So, um, and these are Eric, Farfar, and Oscar. But if you are thinking of visiting like I am, keep in (laughs) mind that today the sun rose at approximately 9.30 and set at 3.30, because Finland, Finland is located so far north. I have a hard enough time with New Hampshire's nine hours. I don't want to reduce it by three more this time. Yeah, this would not be the time of year I don't think I'd want to visit because of that. No, except Christmas is going on, and we're going to talk about that towards the end. Um, The Island Islands are an autonomous, self-governing archipelago. Archipelago. How do you say that? Archipelago. Archipelago? When you're put on the spot when you do a podcast, sometimes the words don't I make know. Sense. I f- I Archipelago. Feel... Yes, that sounds right. <laughs> Located oh. in Finland. It consists of more than 6,757 6, islands. I don't know how they come wow. up with more than such a specific number. Yeah. And it's in the Baltic Sea near the Gulf of Bothnia at the sea's northwest corner, which is equidistant between Sweden and Finland. And it's 25 miles away from each. Hmm. The islands are well connected by bridges and ferries. The primary language spoken is Swedish, and this is actually their official language, while the rest of Finland is bilingual in Swedish and Finnish. Okay. The population of the area is 30,000 who live on only 60 of the islands. And the New York Times said 35 of the islands. So this is a good uh, good lesson in research. Hmm. Um, so I wonder where the New York Times got its info, because it's the Finnish government that says 60. So, oh, that um, interesting. And I didn't dig any deeper than that. I'm just going with what the Finnish government says. Yeah. Uh, 40% of the population live in the town of Maryham, which is Alan's capital and the smallest capital in Northern Europe with 11,000 people. And that's where I, in this book, um, that is mentioned because that is where um, Far Far comes from. Right. Yep, so. And how many people are in Goffstown? 18. Yeah. Maybe? So it's 18, smaller 000? than Goffstown. Yeah. And wow. this is the largest, largest. Or the smallest capital in Northern Europe and the largest in Ireland. In Ireland. Hmm. So um, there are three other autonomous territories in the Nordic region. And the Nordic region includes Finland, Norway, Denmark, Sweden, and Iceland. Okay. And the two other autonomous territories are the Faroe Islands and Greenland, which are part of Denmark. Huh. 
So Finland was, I'm going to give you a little background on, okay. on this area. So Finland was once part of Sweden. During the 18th and early 19th century, Russia attacked the island several times. In 1809, the Russian Empire took both of what we now know as Finland and Åland. In the mid-19th century, it was declared a demilitarized zone, and the Russian Tsar established the town of Maryham, which, as I said before, is now mm -hmm. the capital. In 1917, during the Russian Revolution, Finland gained its independence from Russia, and Åland sought to reunite with Sweden. Finland rejected this and said, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Under the watch of the League of Nations in 1922, they created what was called the Non-Fortification and Neutralization of the Åland Islands. And this was written into the Finnish constitution. So this established oh. the island chain as an autonomous, neutral, and demilitarized zone protected from war. It also protects the islanders' Swedish culture and language. Finland has oversight over the islanders' foreign affairs, most areas of law, custom customs regulations, and federal taxation. The islanders are also represented in the Finnish parliament, but they also have a parliament of their own. People from Åland consider themselves islanders. They don't consider themselves Åland, uh, Finnish or Swedish. Åland okay. is part of the European Union and uses EU currency, which is good because after all of this, I do think I would want to go visit there, and that, mm, that would make yeah. it easy. This year is actually a special year for Åland. It is celebrating its 100 years of autonomy, and oh. I wish I could get there now. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, just a few more bits of trivia before we go to number two. The territory has its own flag. All five Nordic countries use the Nordic cross on their flag, which somehow I never noticed. No, me neither. Um, Alan's flag looks just like Sweden's blue and yellow cross, but they add a red cross centered in the yellow field. Oh. Åland's main industries are shipping and ferry services, tourism, processing fish and agricultural products, and banking. Åland seems to have few people who are known globally, because I started saying, who's, who's from right. this area? Uh, the best known seems to be Jan Sven Akholmen, who represented Finland in, and he also won the 2002 European Marathon Championship. He ran a couple of Olympics and finished 19th at his best. Hmm. Um, Allen food is a mix of Swedish and Russian culinary traditions. Pancakes are a staple and are called Allen Spankaka. The scenes in Donuts when Farfar makes pancakes for Lou and Oscar is authentic. Mm. Um, and I, I imagine this is what they were making, these yeah. kinds of pancakes. The Allen pancake is a sweet, thick pancake that is square and made in the oven, not the same as the pancakes we have in the U.S. Allen is known for its fresh food, gathered from foraging, fishing, and hunting. And I found a great video on Amazon that I actually rented for 99 cents to learn more <laughs> about their food. Oh, that sounds awesome. Okay. So all this food talk gotta go on to, to our next topic. <laughs> food, topic two. Yay. One of the most charming aspects of what I thought was a very charming book mm -hmm. is the discussion of food, which has a nostalgicness to it, if I may put it that way. Yep. Um, and it celebrates the simple pleasantries of food. I love when a book embeds us in a culture. All in traditions permeate the story and food is the glue that holds it all together. Yes. In the storyline of donuts and other proclamations of love, Oscar and his grandfather bring their food truck to various places in town. They provide some beloved food from Allen to their customers. Some of the places they go are local, such as when they set up their food truck outside a local bar. Other times they attend annual festivals where people can sample all different kinds of cuisine. 
Through it all, the message is that their food celebrates their culture, and they love sharing both their homeland traditions and their gastronomy with their customers and friends. Food festivals themselves, because I started wondering about them, have been around since ancient times when people celebrated the harvest or made offerings to gods on special holidays. But modern food festivals celebrate local culture and cuisine. They encourage tourism and foster knowledge about various aspects of food production. For example, I read an interesting article on an asparagus festival in Italy <laughs> that made an argument that the festival boosted a sense of community while bringing experts together to share their wisdom to keep the business of asparagus booming. Wow. Who thinks about the business of know, asparagus? But I, love, I love asparagus. <laughs> I so, do, too. Uh, Somebody you know. just gave me a recipe for deviled eggs with asparagus. Oh, I love deviled eggs, I too. too but, so hmm. I might try that for the holiday. Yeah. Um, Anyway, highlighting certain crops raises awareness and appreciation for them. According to the article, the food festival and others like it opens, quote, agricultural and gastronomic products to modernization, exploring new ways of presenting local products and preparations to the public. It opens up local gastronomic heritage to innovation and contribution from new members of the community who then become co-makers of the local tradition. It is a process that entails local and non-local people, Mm. which, which I think is so nice, just sharing cultures. Food festivals are an integral part of New England life. For example, the Seafood Festival on the New Hampshire seacoast is a local event that highlights the freshness of our local bounty from the sea. Fishing and aquaculture plays a great role in the New England economy, and festivals celebrating them raise awareness about their importance in our diet and in the markets. Another local event that members of my family attend every year, which I can't attend because I have to eat gluten-free, so I'm a little bit jealous, but my (laughs) my daughter and my husband go each year to to the Taco Festival in Manchester, where local businesses provide creative taco offerings. I love the idea of this celebration where ethnic cuisine meets local flair and highlights the creativity of local chefs. Um, In Manchester, a city of immigrants, they promote community by highlighting ethnic food and creative offerings such as ice cream tacos, which help meld the communities together Mm -hmm. because everyone loves ice cream. Well, I do know someone who doesn't, but I don't I don't understand them. (laughs) (laughs) I actually I mean, I'll eat it, but I'm not a huge. I'm learning all these things about you. I know. You know, like once, literally like once a summer, I'll like get ice cream and that's it. I'm like, eh, I can go for ice cream today and I'm done. We all have our things. I know. I I love donuts though. Yeah. Um, Well, I like donuts too. Mm. But anyway. I think I like everything. (laughs) I love tacos. (laughs) Uh, So the festivals, um, which hedge, 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 you think that's our hey, hey? I was calling it hey, hey. hey, hey. So that's the name of the food truck. I was calling it hey, hey. I don't know. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. So Jay makes a yes sound. Um, uh, The ones that they attend in the book help spread Swedish culture to the community specifically. Um, But more than anything, this book is about love. It's even in the title. And I would argue that food brings community Mm -hmm. together like nothing else yeah so uh stacy i was wondering are there any festivals that you regularly attend well my parents do live on the seacoast um so the seafood festival is definitely one that um, we attend and each year i also attend um annual market days festival in concord it's usually held in june 
Um, Main Street is only open to foot traffic, so they actually close down the street to um, cars. And then all the shops and the markets and the restaurants that reside along Main Street bring out their shopping and food. There's great deals to be had. Other vendors come in. And there's also live entertainment. So I've enjoyed that. And in the past, I've also attended um, Glendy Greek Festival at the St. George Cathedral in Manchester, which celebrates Greek food, culture, and music. And of course, nothing says New Hampshire more than our numerous agricultural fairs, yeah. which I don't know, typically eat the food there, though. Those aren't, I don't know. They're My greasy and loves just the food. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I no, I eat beforehand and I just like all the craft stuff and just the walking around. I like the animals. Yeah. I like the, so I go to the Deerfield Fair yeah. and they've got a maple tent and I oh, love I the like maple that. cotton yeah. candy. Oh, I would like that. But so I would love different food trucks at our fairs, like more something like the, hey, hey, you know, food truck. I would like something like that. Oh, your food fair has a few of them and they're they're ah, picking up. So okay. if you like fairs. Yeah. So now I actually need to year. go and look at the food then. Maybe we'll probably. go together. Maybe. <laughs> Before we move on from food, I'm getting hungry. <laughs> I yeah, do too. also <laughs> want to talk about food trucks in this section. <laughs> so one of my favorite things about big cities are the food trucks that mm. line the streets. My sister lives in Philadelphia, and she has her choice of tasty treats right outside her office. Ugh. And I always go for the gluten-free arep- arepes. Arepes? arepes. I said this. I ate them last night, and I said it. I, I don't know. It's when I you're think- in like, – it happens to me, too. Like, I hear it in my head, and then it comes out, and I'm like, that is not right. That's not the right word. I was just <laughs> teaching about kamishibai, and I kept saying kamishabi. kamishabi. <laughs> oh, yes. So forgive no, us. No, forgive forgive us. us. We're learning. Yeah. One cannot today separate the idea of food trucks from the very popular festivals we've been talking about. Um, but I'm, I'm going to read directly from an article on history.com mm. because I love the visual imagery of this paragraph. So close your eyes and think of the prairie. Our modern food trucks stem from two separate dining traditions that predate the invention of the automobile itself. Chuck wagons and push carts served cowboys and urban Mm. workers, respectively, all the way back to the years right after the Civil War. Chuck wagons followed trail-driving cowpokes in the Wild West, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner to hungry men across the plains. Chuck wagon cooks, called cookie by their appreciative diners, would wake as early as 3 a.m. to stoke fires, bake biscuits, and do all the other work involved in feeding scores of hardworking men. The wagons themselves were designed specifically for cooking, with separate areas for pot storage, washing up, and food preparation. This specialization and the ability to actually prepare and cook food made the chuck wagon the most direct ancestor of our modern food truck. So then there were also foot push carts, on the other hand, and they were doing business in the cities early in the history of our country. Um, but they gained popularity after the Civil War. They served cold items to construction workers, delivery boys, and other mm. urban workers. The car- carts developed to be closer to the ones we know today with the rise of our automobile culture in the 1950s. And as they evolved, they became known for unsanitary conditions. But they had a resurgence in recent years. They're now popular for serving all sorts of fantastic food like we saw in our book. Mm-hmm. And the festivals rose to celebrate these truck offerings. 
um, in our modern culture. So living in a suburban rural environment, I've not really been aware of this food truck revival too much. I still think of soggy, terrible sandwiches wrapped in saran wrap from a truck with a metal roll-up side like we had in the 70s and early 80s. Um, but we've moved way beyond my childhood days in New York, I think. Yeah. I, you know, I uh, constantly ask my husband, like, okay, come on, let's, you know, I because I've heard there's a food truck um, that's, you know, there's some out in Portsmouth. I'm like, let's go, let's go. And he still, I think, has this envision of being in Lawrence, Massachusetts and in Massachusetts and in what, you know, he thinks of the food truck there. And it was like, you know, came to a construction site and yeah, um, just unsanitary. And uh, so that's what he envisions. And so but as much as I love reading, I also love cooking. And so I have often joked that in another life, I would like to do two things. One, have my own cooking show and then run a family (laughs) food truck. So I'm always talking to my boys about the food truck we'd have. And and I think we we would, I'm like, I'm always centering it around grilled cheese. I'm like, we'd have these different grilled cheeses and this type of bread. And we'd have these types of cheeses and you could add this to it. And maybe there'd be a cup of, a crock of soup. And so... I watched the great food truck race on Food Network, and um, it looks like a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really does. And needing to know things like when your tire gets blown out or where you're allowed to park and who you set up shop with and where do you make your – and that was kind of mentioned in the book as well, um, mm-hmm. in this book. So one season, though, um, and I think it may have been season 11, they actually started out the competition on the great um, food truck race in Wolfboro, New Hampshire, and it was in winter. Winter. It was crazy. Then they moved to Portsmouth in the next leg and then over to Vermont and Rhode Island. But it was all through the winter. And I thought it was just, I don't know. I definitely would not want to operate in winter. I'd want warmer areas. areas. And I think even Oscar in the book um, alluded to, you know, what to do during the winter months when it gets too cold. But he also talked truck. about how hot it was and how Luke yeah. can handle it in the summertime. In the summertime. So, yeah, so, I, yeah all around it's a... So my, my massage therapist is married to a man who actually runs a really? food truck. Yeah, I should oh, ask her more yes. Hmm. So, All right, we're finally up to topic three, which is Scandinavian Christmas. So last month I ended with Hanukkah. I thought it would be nice to end with Christmas. I know. It's amazing uh, how we do with these books and just picking them right at these times i don't know well and we we actually have not done it on purpose no i know um but the more you get curious about topics the more you can relate it to what's really happening around you the more you relate what you learn i always tell my students that um doing research is about building knowledge on top Mm -hmm. of knowledge on top of knowledge and that's basically what we're doing here so be curious um so i want to talk about a section of the book that highlights the christmas holiday Some of the most interesting pages in the book begin on page 192 and discuss some Scandinavian holiday traditions. So Scandinavia, which I mentioned before, which is um, the Nordic region, includes the countries, as I said, of Sweden, Norway, Finland, Iceland, and Denmark. Their cultural heritage is similar in many respects. Christmas in this region is said to be uniquely appreciated and celebrated. The joyful traditions help people in this dark part of the world to mentally get through Mm -hmm. winter. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, there are less than five hours of daylight during some parts of the winter time. Yeah, that's <laughs> so torture. <laughs> the Scandinavians celebrate Christmas for weeks, beginning with St. Lucia Day on December 13th. St. Lucia Day is also known as the Festival of Lights. And if you remember from last yeah. month, that's what Han- we know Hanukkah as. Um, 
the Saturday before the first advent in the Scandinavian tradition is known as Lilla Jewel or Little Christmas, which they talked about mm-hmm. in the book. Um, it's a time when Scandinavians decorate for the holidays. Celebrations end on January 6th with the day of the Epiphany. Many Nordics get two weeks off for celebrations during this period. Mm. So we get yeah. a day and a half I know. and they get two weeks. So anyway, Santa is based on the idea of gnomes and other pagan characters which have been embedded in Nordic culture for centuries. These gnomes were also mentioned in the book. Oscar mentions his Tomte tree topper, which is a Swedish gnome. He also mentions decorating with Moomin, who were created by a Finnish writer, and he's also an artist, Tove Janssen, in the mid-20th century. They're troll characters who live in harmony with nature, and they fit right in with the idea of Gnome Christmas. Mm. Ornaments are often made of straw to recognize an offering that was once made to birds at the end of the harvest. Birds were encouraged toward the home with special food that intended to woo them away from their grain reserves in the farmland. Ah. So I actually have some straw ornaments. Um, I think they're charming. I had no idea the history behind huh. them. I don't even remember where I got them, but now they're even more special yeah. to me. Um, then there's Yulebord, which is a Christmas feast, which fits right in with our yes. second theme. The feast takes place on Christmas Eve, and there's lots and lots of food. Glog, G-L-O-G-G, is actually pronounced glug, mold wine. And there are saffron buns, Yulskinka. Some of these words are fun to say. (laughs) That's Christmas ham, pork sausage, and liver pate. In addition to the Christmas feast itself, Scandinavians have Christmas parties throughout the month. Christmas Day is called Boxing Day, um, and I knew Boxing Day from England. They celebrate that there. Okay, yeah, I was thinking like in... Canada, they have Boxing oh, Day, do they? don't they? Yeah. Okay, so in the English tradition, yeah. or maybe all in the Scandinavian yeah. tradition, when food is left in a box for the poor, mm-hmm. they stick it in a, in a box, so it's called Boxing Day. Families also visit friends on this day, and this made, as I'm researching this, I'm remembering that my best friend's mom, when I was really young, was Swedish, and she mm-hmm. was married to a Russian man. Um, my family would walk the quarter mile to their house to be treated to cookies spread across a very large table. I bet there were other foods, yeah. too, but I'm sure I just zeroed right in on those the cookies. cookies. Yum, yum. I mean, it was just all about the food. Wow. And, and now that I I know what a big part of the Swedish uh, culture this is, it makes, makes perfect sense. sense. So I've provided recipes on the Curious Reader podcast Pinterest page and information about how Olanders, Swedes, and Finns celebrate the holidays. Especially check out the Fodor's article to which I linked to learn more about the traditions. It gave me um, a greater understanding of not only a foreign culture, but the origins of some of our own Christmas traditions in the United States. Huh. I may have to check out um, some of those recipes. I know when um, in the in the book, and then you mentioned it too, the, the saffron buns, I was just like... Do they get saffron cheaper over there? Because saffron <laughs> threads are really expensive and like... I wonder how much you need in the. I don't know in the in in that you know it it um it gives like a, a kind of yellow orange hue, um but those threads are they are of saffron rice yes yes yeah. um so I don't know but I have to check out those recipes uh, and no matter how you celebrate the holiday season you know I hope that you are surrounded um our listeners are surrounded by joy and love and a greater appreciation for all the different traditions and cultures out there. 
So thanks for listening today, everyone. Remember, the Curious Reader podcast can be found on your favorite podcast app like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and even for free on audible.com. So if you've missed an episode, now is a great time to go back and catch up. And don't forget, liking and subscribing helps others discover this podcast. So please click that little heart or give us a thumbs up to share the love of reading and discovering something new. So now let me leave you with this. The Great Gatsby is probably a featured timeless classic on the syllabus of many high school English classes. Uh, Melissa and I hope you check back in with the Curious Reader podcast in January because we are going to connect with the characters we already know but are brought to life through a new perspective, that of Jordan Baker, competitive golfer, Daisy's friend, and love interest of Nick Carraway, but reimagined as an adopted queer Vietnamese woman living in high society New York City. So join us next month as the Curious Reader podcast will be discussing Ni Vo's debut novel, The Chosen and the Beautiful, a retelling of F. Scott Fitzgerald's Jazz age classic full of opulence and decadence, but told through the eyes of a new narrator with a bit of magic thrown in. And actually, a very nice cover. It does have a nice cover <laughs> <Yeah>. as well. <laughs> so, thank you for listening. And remember, the curious reader seeks understanding beyond the book. <laughs>